politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, and property, and all that matters in between here at CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today. It is Wednesday, February 28th, and we are ticking, ticking down. Another uh, two days left until, oh, the partial slowdown of the non-essential operations of HUD. Okay. Well, actually, technically, HUD is funded on next week's bill, which, you know, it's it shuts, shuts down next week. But the point being that what is so hard for Republicans to stand before the American people and say, these vermin shut down the American people and determined who was essential and non-essential, and that led to the worst inflation crisis. So in order to solve it, yes, we are going to ensure that they will be limited to their essential functions. That would resonate with so many Americans. Now, I'm not here to talk about so much the economic inflationary aspect of the budget fight. Um, I have a lot of news on that. I'm going to have a very detailed economic piece coming out. Maybe we'll we'll discuss that tomorrow or Friday. But getting back to the immigration part, Isaiah 55, 9, God says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher, or some translate distant, than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I look at the way these Republicans think, and and it's like the same gap between godly thoughts and human thoughts, our thoughts and these guys' thoughts. Their obsessive focus is just on, okay, have a government shutdown, or like nerdy process. Well, let's have these amount of appropriation bills like this, but, but nothing about drawing a line in the sand on the civilizational issues that they could totally win on against the most inarticulate, senile Democrat opponent of all time. But th- that that is why, essentially, the Republican Party is irremediably broken. We'll talk a little bit about that, but that's why I want to get to state affairs and get back to our Meet the Candidate series on opportunities we have to make red states red. We're going to have a gubernatorial candidate from Utah coming up soon. Very, very important Uh, Because the bottom line is, if you take the totality of what we discussed on Monday and Tuesday, just the sheer civilizational crush of the invasion of the demographic um, replacement of Americans, both from a cultural standpoint, from a security standpoint, and then juxtaposed to the cultural decline of the Native society in terms of mental health, sexuality, marriage, you name it. The the upshot of this is that we're we're lost as a nation by a mile. And the only thing we can do is build our Noah's Ark in, in parts of the country where we wield where we have the most potential, we're the least damaged relatively so far. And and we could still fill in that breach, build Nehemiah's wall around the craziness and hope to live out our lives in some sort of peace, prosperity, and and functioning values 
in these places because they're going to tell you it's quite clear that ain't going to happen at a federal level. That's not going to happen. This from Politico. Speaker Johnson made unequivocally clear that he wants to avoid a government shutdown. During a private Tuesday meeting with Joe Biden and other congressional leaders like Chuck Schumer, um, he basically said that avoiding government shutdown is something we can all agree on. And essentially the plan he wants to push now is buy a little bit more time. So right now it's uh, agriculture, energy, water, milcon, and transportation HUD expire Friday night, and then the rest of the government a week later. So he wants to move those four, but then put financial services and one other one interior along with it to expire March 8th, and then the rest of the government to expire March 22nd, so we could have more time to pass individual appropriation bills. But if you look at what he's saying, he's not saying we must defund the invasion, inflation, indoctrination, inquisition, right? That's the prosecutions against the, against political opponents, Islamicization, the UN, the anti-Israel policies, all this stuff. No. It's just, yeah, we want to have a framework. And by the way, it's actually, it's, it's worse. He wants to have time to pass new appropriation bills. Now, I know in the past, a lot of conservatives said they would rather a new appropriation bill than a CR. But in this case, is different than ever before because of the debt ceiling deal. If you merely go with a CR, you get an automatic across-the-board cut, mainly to non-defense, by the way. Whereas if you pass new bills, not only is he very clear he's not going to fight on any of the policies, including even the border and immigration, but in addition to that, he won't again, he won't even fight on that. But even the automatic spending cuts that you get for free, he's going to undo that. And yet, the Overton window is so shifted that there's news articles coming out on how right-wing Johnson is, and he's isolated, he's on an island, right, because Schumer, Biden, and McConnell, the other three of the big four, are all on the same page. That's what. That's how corrosive the GOP is. The Senate GOP is so insane that Johnson looks like he's a right-winger. But meanwhile, there's no pounding of the lectern. That how dare this happen? You know, our, our, our colleague here, Steve Baker, at The Blaze, he's been doing reporting on January 6th. They, the FBI demanded he surrender in Dallas by Friday. They're arresting him, and he wasn't part of anything. He was just there, literally, he was a reporter. He was reporting on it. But the re- well, why are they coming after him four years later? Because they don't like what he's reporting. It's literally like North Korea. Is it that hard to stand for things like that? On immigration, we talked about yesterday the numerous examples of criminal aliens recently come in committing heinous murders and rapes of minors. We have another list of cases just today. More cases. Is it that hard to stand up and give a press conference Not on the process, on the omnibus bill or appropriation bills and deadlines, but we will not fund the foreign murder of American citizens. 
Doesn't mention a word about Lakin Riley. It, it's just unbelievable. The truth is, people like Johnson, I'm trying to get into their psychology, they really do not believe in what they say about the border. Because if they truly did, there's no way they would care more about a partial slowdown of non-essential government items than they would shutting down the demise of our civilization. Is it that hard to get up there and give a press conference on our previous two days worth of shows on the Trende Aragua gang on all the Venezuelan criminal aliens on Lake and Riley. And now we have three more Nielsen Trejo Granados was arrested for murdering a two-year-old in Montgomery County, Maryland. He was ordered removed in November 2022, but remained somehow indefinitely, then was arrested twice for theft last year in Maryland and was still released. And now a two-year-old is dead. And, and by the way, this is important. We talked about, don't just talk about the border. You need to make it real to the American people that this is in all your communities. The 6.2 million number of people that are targeted by ICE but remain undetained but then there's a cohort within that i don't have the exact numbers um five six years ago it was about 2.1 million let's say by now it would be at least three million criminal aliens with final deportation orders not just kind of targeted by on ice's docket but final removals meaning there's a, a removal order from a judge and yet they remain indefinitely in the country. And we only have 5,000 ERO agents. So this is – the, the press release writes itself for the proposition that states need to assume deportation, at least of those people. Because this guy in Montgomery County is a classic example. Who commits more crimes? Well, those who already have been proven to commit priors, Right. It's true of all criminals, including American criminals, except these people should be removed. A hundred percent of these crimes are avoidable. Is it that hard to talk about that? Another one, Angel Matias Castellano Sorellana is now accused of raping a 14-year-old girl in Louisiana. Again, I don't know if it's a fellow illegal alien or an American that shouldn't matter in that case. And then ERO Boston... That's ICE's office there, arrested a 34-year-old Guatemalan national who was recently convicted of sexual assault on a child. By the way, you're going to find the hallmark of the Venezuelan gangs or the Central Americans, often even Mexicans, is ra you know rabid drunk driving, sexual assault of minors, and often really young. I mean, like, in the crib. We've talked about that many times over the years. A lot of examples of two, three-year-olds. And then these just gruesome dismemberment-style murders. Is it that hard? Is it that hard? Remember, because even if we shut down the border 100% tomorrow, the amount that we've let in on the interior is a kill shot on the country 100 times over even if you never had another illegal alien from, you know, henceforth, it's got to move to interior enforcement. And I want to I I talk about that a little bit as we move to what's disappointing in the States. But first, 
First, our sponsor today is QP Goat Soap. You know, everything we're dealing with now is fake. Fake food, fake medicine, fake economy. Nothing is real. Well, your soap is not real either. Did you know that what you see in the in the store, the stuff, the cheap cheap stuff on the shelves, that's like the processed food equivalent of soap. And according to the FDA, they're not even allowed to call it soap. They, that's why they call it cleanser or body wash. Um, it means that the fats and oils have been stripped out, which is why that that doesn't meet the definition of soap. These oils are now in the lotion that you have to buy to re-moisturize your skin because it dried you out. How about – so you might say, well, Daniel, I want, I want to get the cheap stuff. Yeah, but how about you get QP Goat Soap? You go to qpgoatsoap.com and use promo code Daniel for 10% off, and then you don't need moisturizers because it's built in because QP Goat Soap made by our 16-year-old Quinn Pittman, homeschooling Blaze TV subscriber. Guess what? It has natural palm oils because it's made out of goat soap. Um, it is the most luscious, healthiest, best-smelling soap. And now they have that amazing smell that you could wear on your body, not just in the shower, but all day long because they have detergent made out of goat soap. Uh, if you get one bag of it, it will pretty much get you 90 loads. So if you go to QPGoatSoap.com today, use promo code Daniel, get your 10% off and you buy a year's supply of of soap and the detergent, that will likely get you free shipping above the threshold, and you'll be healthier, feel better about yourself, and stop supporting. By the way, every one of these companies, Dove and Zest, they're all woke big time into the training agenda. Support one of our own at qpgoatsoap.com, promo code Daniel. So, folks, I'm just sick of hearing about all these Republican governors pointing fingers at the border or I'll send now that that's the trend I'll send National Guard to the border it's not about that what we're seeing in a lot of these red states alongside the blue states is that you have a cadre of thousands of criminal aliens in your state that need to be removed if you're not willing to go to the level of state deportations yet at a minimum you should be enforcing e-verify which clearly georgia is not enforcing its e-verify law and you should be um cutting off magnets like for example you would think we would have you know we, we said lake and riley should be a george floyd moment nationally but certainly in georgia one would expect that th- th- this would be the end all right Instead, Governor, where is this? Governor, uh, if you remember, the governor there, Kemp, Brian Kemp, he, his, his famous ad was, I will drive the illegals out of the country myself. And yet, not only won't you do that, he won't do anything. He refuses to comment. My buddy, um, Neil Monroe at Breitbart, one of the few remaining good writers there, that by the way, did not support Trump because he understands the immigration issue and what Trump did to us when he was president. Lake and Riley murder forces Georgia Republicans to draft un- unwanted anti-migration bill. And he talks about the fact that Brian Kemp basically refused to comment on this. And when he, he had a recent press conference, governor, I know 
there's already talk in the legislature about passing state-level immigration measures. Is there anything you want to see lawmakers accomplish the next few weeks? That was a reporter who asked him. Yeah, um, I wouldn't want to comment too much on anything that they're starting to work on. A second reporter asked him, you know, about things. He, he dodged it. Now, even what they're working on, the best is basically to end sanctuary cities, because it turns out that Athens, Clark County was a sanctuary where UGA, you know, this murder of Lake and Riley took place at UGA campus. But that that's ridiculous. Like, that, that's nuts. That should have been taken care of a long time ago, that we don't have downright pro illegal stuff within the state. But you need to not just ban sanctuary cities, that's a given, but at a state level, you need to cut off the magnets and start enforcing E-Verify. How was uh, this guy, Jose's brother, Diego Inbarra, able to get a job on on the campus? See what I'm saying? If the states would actually enforce the laws and cut off all bennies, cut off all healthcare, cut off education cut off any any benefits, and certainly work and actually enforce it. It's game over. You wouldn't even have to really deport that much. That's the reality. But they don't want to do it because they actually want it. So they get to keep the illegals in their state, but then fake fight it and go, oh, look at the feds. I'm going to go send some troops to the border. And, and again, the border at this point is meaningless. I'm just going to tell you, it's all about demagnetization, interior enforcement, and particularly state enforcement. That is the 800-pound gorilla in the room. That is the way you leverage against you know, the, 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 the federal sanctuary nation. Anything short of that is a distraction at this point. And that's what we need to create in the states. But, you know, I, I just as an introduction to our guest... I want to talk about just some of what we're seeing, how we're not fulfilling anything in in, in red states, and we're going to continue electing the same bums. And by the way, Trump is endorsing a whole slate of local candidates in Texas, and we'll we'll, have a busy week next week, a lot lot of things going on. Super Tuesday is next week, so we'll report on the primaries, but the big one is Texas. Texas. There might be a revolution where we finally have a critical mass of these guys swept out in a primary. And finally, we're hoping to start a Freedom Caucus in the Texas House when we get all these new guys in. If Trump were to do this in every other red state, rather than often endorsing the bad guys, we would have a different party, a different country, and certainly different red states. But of course, it was all personal with the Paxton impeachment. Again, I I don't begrudge that. As long as his sort of outcomes and needs and desires and focus aligns with ours, maybe for a different reason or, you know, somewhat of the same reason, I'm fine with that. But I don't understand why my colleagues don't see that as a vivid illustration of the need to pressure Trump to get involved in anything. Trump owns the party. You you allure him against the party, you will get results nine out of ten times. Which is why you need to make it clear that he picks one of you know one of our own for VP. You need to make it clear that he needs to get better personnel around him. You need to make it clear he needs to make better endorsements across the board. And you need to make him get him involved in policy issues. I'm, I'm gonna say this again. 
Johnson could only get away with not drawing a line in the sand if Trump is okay with that. Trump has been silent on that. And that's by design because he doesn't want a messy fight headed into his election. In fact, it would help him. But he unfortunately all too often on budget fights buys into conventional wisdom, which is why if he's too scared to have a budget government shutdown fight now when he's not even owning it as president, like I'm warning you, if he were to be president and let's say they'd have all three branches, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying if that were to happen, there's no way he would he he would want a government shutdown. I mean, and 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 to be fair, it is somewhat harder when you officially control all three branches but don't have 60 seats in the Senate. Now is actually a better time. Which is why we can't put our hopes in this and which is why we need to really focus on the states, but you know, if we don't change things, it's bad. Let me just run down some state items before we get to our guest. West Virginia HB 5105. This is finally giving a religious exemption to the vaccine mandate there. I believe West Virginia is the only remaining red state that doesn't even allow that. So it did pass the House. Remember, they have an 89-11 majority. It only passed 57-41. So a third of the Republicans wouldn't even vote for a religious exemption. And now it heads to the Senate where... Unfortunately, it seems to be dead on arrival. We can't even get that passed in West Virginia. Again, I want your mind to run wild and understand what could have been done had Trump, you know, done this in every other state. West Virginia, Trump is like God in West Virginia. It, it is, it's possible that West Virginia might be his best state where he's the highest approval. If he were to primary all those people, and again, a lot of people are like, well, Daniel, some places there are no primaries. That's only because they know they don't have his help. In Texas, it became known, Ken Paxton told them, you go and run against these guys, you will get Trump's endorsement. That's It's a recruitment tool. Instead, he endorsed Shelley Moore Capito, who's the Rhino senator. And now for the other one, he's endorsing Jim Justice, the most liberal governor imaginable, and he endorsed him for governor too. Shelly Moore Capito recently said, it's such a misery march. We ought to do our job and pass our bills. I can't figure them out over there. She's referring to House conservatives. This is the sort of garbage we have from West Virginia. It's truly unbelievable. In Wyoming, Governor Mark Gordon just vetoed my friend Chuck Gray, who's the Secretary of State. He wrote a regulation that would have required investment brokers broker dealers or securities agents to doing business in Wyoming to simply disclose if ESG principles factor in their business decisions. A lot of other states are doing this. Gordon vetoed it. He has some sort of veto power over regulatory. It's not a bill. It's, it's a regulation. I actually like that line item veto power. Um, and it would be nice for other governors to have it. The governor of Wyoming seems to have it. But the point is no governor ever remembers Cowboy State Daily is reporting they they talked to previous governors. They can't remember a time where a governor ever did this. But that's how emphatic his support for big business is that he was willing to do that. Willing to do that. Um, just uh, some other bills to look at on the docket. Uh, South Carolina H4907 by my friend Josiah 
uh, Magnuson, a member of the Freedom Caucus, basically no liability. Any product that doesn't have liability, it cannot be mandated. Now, some of you might say, well, you shouldn't be able to mandate anything anyway. It's true, but this is a, a way to bring them on board. It's good messaging because all vaccines are indemnified. So you're basically it's it's you're you're landing in the same place. And also, it's not just public. It it ends all private employers would not be able to do it. Um, so I think this makes it a little bit more palatable for some of the opposition that we're in resistance we're meeting. It's great if you're if you're it is immoral to say that you can mandate something on someone where there is no check and balance. If the person is injured to get a seventh, um, you know, the the Seventh Amendment right to jury trial, and I might have some news on uh, a national bill on liability as well in the coming days. We'll talk about that. So again, H forty nine oh seven. Make sure they support that. Um, another important bill in Tennessee, SB twenty three fifty nine, HB seventeen twenty six prohibits the Department of Children's Services from requiring immunization as a condition of adoption or overseeing a child in foster care. And certainly that you can't grab a kid away from a parent that doesn't want to immunize. So again, that's that's very important. Um, you know, the same way we're fighting with Catholic adoptions and things like that, the homosexual agenda that it's, you know, you can't adopt being an adoption agency if you don't do that. So this is a similar concept that they can't be penalized for immunization. So again, these are important bills and this is the sort of thing that we need to push in the red States, but I want to get to our special guest. So folks, we're going to continue highlighting all these important bills that we're pushing in red States, because that's really our only opportunity to save a modicum of our country, preserve it for prosperity, for Liberty, um, demographically, but here's the deal, and and you guys know this is true. We're we're fighting a losing battle in the legislatures with three good people, five good people here and there, unless we ultimately have a governor. There's a reason why everyone is talking about Florida because that's a place where it's not just okay. You have three Freedom Caucus guys in a in a legislature, but you have a governor driving an agenda, and. Honestly, we don't really have that in any other state. Some are just bad. Some are really bad. But we don't have a close second. I will say uh, Governor Landry just took over in Louisiana. And, you know, he's doing some good stuff on crime. I'm definitely seeing. And obviously, he, he was good on medical freedom as AG. So the jury's still out there. That might be number two. But the point is, we should have 25 of these. And you look at the primaries. We have slim pickings. We do have Bill Eigel we're supporting in Missouri for that open seat there. And I didn't think we had an example this year where we maybe had an opportunity to challenge an incumbent, an incumbent rhino for governor. But then I started noticing something funny in Utah. Utah, you know, as you well know, has been one of the worst GOP trifectas in the country, downright progressive. But I noticed that, you know, Governor Cox was signing some fairly decent legislation this year. I was like, wow, that, that that's kind of funny. And then it hit me, wait a minute, there must be a primary challenger. So I looked and I found there's several people filed, but the most prominent one is a very interesting individual. And he's with us today, Phil Lyman. If I had to build out of scratch a caricature of a person that we need to be governor in this era of Noah's Ark where we have to interpose against federal tyranny 
and make red states red, but also make them as sovereign as possible, it would be a guy like Phil Lyman. He's a sitting state rep running for governor against Governor Cox, who's seeking a second term in the August primary. By the way, you could follow him at Phil underscore Lyman, L-Y-M-A-N. Go to LymanforUtah.com. Before serving in the legislature, he was a San Juan County commissioner. It's in the southeastern part of the state. He's also a businessman, a CPA. Um, and he led a fight against the closure of federal lands um, and was actually arrested, did time in jail because of it, was pardoned by President Trump. So this man has actually fought federal tyranny as a local official. Wow. How about Phil Lyman for governor? Let's find out more with Phil joining us today. Hey, Phil, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your story at Blaze Media. Oh, well, thank you, Daniel. Thanks for that introduction as well. It's great to be on. So am I missing something? You know, I saw that Phil Cox uh, or Governor Cox signed um, the state sovereignty bill. He signed some good bills on transgenderism where he was kind of really bad on that in the past. I guess he's feeling the heat. Yeah, I mean, the first thing he did in, as governor was to, was to push the DEI thing, push the big, uh, signed a, a DEI thing, said we are going to have diversity, equity, and inclusion came out defending the Utah Jazz, who had issued a scholarship that was for anybody but white people, and he defended that. And, and so he was all in, you know, three years ago, but now he's, 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 he's turned the corner. He's found, he's found, uh, found a new uh, approach here, found the conservatism. So no, and, and it's no surprise. Anybody that knows him knows he doesn't have a platform. He, he, he goes wherever the wind's blowing. So. So I want I want to first go over process and horse race and then get into policy. Just process wise, for people that are unfamiliar with Utah, they used to have a convention where the convention was binding, and I've been a long advocate for conventions because again, it can't be manipulated by a guy like Cox with a ton of money who runs as a conservative, fools voters, and then does the opposite. At a convention, the activists kind of know who these people are. That's really how we've gotten how we got Mike Lee in. We would not have gotten him in without that. Um, so obviously, they've modified that convention where you could bypass it. Is that still in effect? Yeah, yeah. So you can get signatures if you want to bypass the Republican Party's preferred route. You can just go get signatures and get on the ballot as a Republican. Are you going to make a play for the convention? I am doing both. You can you can sign up for both, and that's a uh, it's. I've I've been really anti the the signature route, but it's kind of the hand we've been dealt. Sure, and we've sure. seen some real manipulation. Yeah, we've seen real manipulation at the convention and with the delegates. Um, they kind of gutted that that system when they when they signed that SB 54, um, and uh, which was the bill that gave the signature out. So so I'll fight that if I if I can get elected, then that that's one of the first battles we'll do is try to uh, go back to allowing the Republican Party to select their candidates using the convention system. No, exactly. As I say a lot all, all the time, people forget that even Mitt Romney. I mean, you can't get more of an 800 pound gorilla in the room than than Romney, a former presidential candidate boatload of money, 100% name ID, and yet he was bested at the convention um, by by a state legislator. And, you know, that would have been final under the old rules, but Romney obviously was able to just get signatures, go to a primary. So, again, that's just a glimpse into what sort of people we could be electing if we would change that. So w- one of the things that intrigued me about you is that we – Badly need governors to stand up to the feds. Um, 
the Achilles heel, the obsession is federal funding. We saw this under COVID. We couldn't get um, bans on mass mandates and vaccine mandates in hospitals because, oh, we're going to lose CMS funding when uh, honestly that they probably wouldn't have even cut off funding anyway. Um, but they were terrified of it. It's all federal control. We need someone who's willing to stand up. Talk about your stand on land issues in 2014 as a county commissioner and what happened and what that represents in terms of what states, particularly Western states, need to be doing. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's an interesting scenario right now. So I'll, I'll, I'll jump into that. But, you know, God bless Texas for, for standing up right now. And I've always, uh, I've always said, you know, that's what states are supposed to do. If, if, if states aren't going to defend the rights of the people, who is? And that's where I was at in 2013 when, uh, when the government shut down uh, October 1st, 2013. And I'm in a public lands county. Most people around the country don't understand what it means to live in a county that's only 8% private property. The rest of it's owned by the government. And and so you're 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 right to, um, you know, extract minerals or to graze or you know graze cattle or to log or any of those things are all controlled under federal contracts. And then they come in and they say, you know, what else we're going to control is your recreation, and we're going to shut down all of your national parks and, you know, uh, Lake Powell and Arches. I've got five national parks in my district, so um, so those all shut down, and all these people lose their jobs, and and I was I was not happy about that, and uh, and that that started in October. What, and then, what, what do you mean by shut down? Uh, the government with the government shutdown uh, when when uh, October first, twenty thirteen, they they had the the federal government. I don't know, for lack of a better term, they 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 shut down. So uh, you know, Obama kept a few golf courses open. Uh, oh, you're saying that was during parks. the federal funding lapse of that era of yeah, the Obama yeah, era. Yeah, thank you. The, the, the la- no, yeah. I was thinking shutdown. I was like, because we're actually talking about a government shutdown today. And so you're saying it was sh- sh- yeah. lapse. And then they were purposely trying to, you know, um, Biden would, they, they, they would have like overlooks that you would have to hire personnel to go and block it off. You know, you actually had yeah, to yeah. do more to block it off than, than whatever. So that's what you're referring <laughs> well, to. Well, here's, and here's, and yeah. So yeah, thank you uh, for the clarification. Yeah, it was the budget, it was the budget shutdown. And Mike Lee had been really vocal about, you know, not doing the, uh, raising the debt ceiling. And, and I felt like it was very personal against Mike Lee. It's like, oh, you don't want to raise the debt ceiling? Fine. Utah's going to suffer. And who's going to suffer the most? The people in San Juan County, uh, where I live. Why? Because they have so much public land and so many people want to go there. And so I called the, I called the guy out of Lake Powell that morning and I said, Hey, this is, these are private contracts. You don't have to shut this place down. And he said, yeah. And he, and he, he was actually crying. I didn't realize it. He said, Phil, I just laid off 300 people this morning. Please don't you know, lecture me about politics right now. And then I realized, okay, this is, this is not trivial. This is people's lives. It's their mortgages. It's their, it's their kids' college tuition. I mean, all of it. And, and that's anytime that government gets out of balance and the States don't stand up, it's, it's not just, uh, you know, spectacle. It's like people get hurt. They, their lives are, are damaged. And I'm not already seen that in, in, in my hometown of Blanding. And, and I just thought, you know, this is, this is not right. And we, when I called the town hall meeting and I said, we're going to, we're going to get steamrolled by this federal agency. And, and they're going to, and the narrative is going to be that, that they did exactly what we wanted them to do, which is lock up all of, you know, all of the land in San Juan County under a national monument, and shut down all of our extractive industries because we all want to save the planet from climate change, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, that will be the narrative unless we speak up. And so people said, well, let's do a protest. 
and uh, a peaceful protest and a legal protest. And let's do it in Recapture Canyon, which is right next to Blanding, which had become already kind of symbolic. <clears throat> so we did that uh, in, in 2014. And, uh, and then later I was charged uh, with conspiracy to trespass, which uh, I've, I've learned in the federal system. If, if you get charged with conspiracy to do anything, all that means is you're going to jail because they can prove conspiracy. And with mine, it was Facebook uh, posts and likes and shares and nothing to do with any conspiratorial uh, activity. So, just, so, so just you were that, one of hey, the first politically targeted. Yeah. I mean, this this was 10 years ago, long before what they're yeah. doing with January 6th, charging people exactly. for the severity of what they did, but what they believe and things they've said. So your charge, you spent time in jail, right? Yeah. Yeah. I thought I was going to jail for, for two years. That's what the prosecution wanted. But when I showed up, fortunately, four judges had recused because I, I made one recuse and the others recused because they had close ties to the environmentalists that were pushing this whole thing. And the judge who finally sentenced me, sentenced me to 10 days, which was, you know, uh, a walk in the park compared to what we were expecting. So that was so, but I did the 10 days. It was a very real 10 days. You get booked into jail. It's not, that's not a pleasant experience. And and, and then, I, and and then obviously that. you were you were pardoned by by President Trump. I know Mike Lee was an advocate for that, and you know, yeah, uh, so there were yeah. some degenerates who got pardons, but that was a good one, and that was necessary. Yeah. <laughs> but you 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 put it all on the line there, and I want to kind of foreshadow that to your your bid for governor. The, one of the things that's disturbing me now is that people are limiting federal supremacism. To a time where the feds could just violate life, liberty, property, the essence of the social compact, gut the liberties and prosperities of the people, invade its own country, and then governor's like, ah, I don't want to do anything about it. But what sort of things do you feel you can do as governor to finally deal with this problem, like you said, where 92% of the land in your home county is federally run? It's interesting, you know, before we were states, we were territories and territories had an appointed governor by Congress the, the they had no police powers. Um, and in a way, the West is still um, transitioning out of being a territory to being states. And I, I think that all it takes is for states like Utah and Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, these Western states to just simply say, um, you know, we're, we're not we're not going to play that game anymore. Yep. We, are, we are states. We have been uh, re- relatively back. new, you know. Yeah. So just say, and, and when Utah got statehood, we had jurisdiction. We now could have a governor and police power, but we never really stepped into those shoes to say, you know, we're, we're going to exercise our jurisdiction. We're going to be a state. And I think that, uh, you know, and then the environmentalist movement started, you know, started up in the, you know, 40s and 50s. And, um, and we just find ourselves kind of on the, on the threshold of making the decision is, are we a state or are we a territory? And we still manage very much like a territory. Wow, that, that 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 that's a scary thought, um, because again, we have a lot of these Western states that were underutilizing uh, the sovereignty of of the people, where we could live out a life like a red state should, that's independent of the feds. But they're just so you know. In addition to the dependency of the federal funding that all the states are dealing with, you have the land use, which is literally all the land. Uh, Utah is the worst. Um, so that that's a big issue. Another issue I want to broach with you is illegal immigration. It's obviously the hot button issue now. There's a trend from all these Republican governors, with the exception of DeSantis and maybe a couple others that are actually doing interior enforcement. These other governors are playing a double game. On the one hand, they love the cheap labor. 
But then what they do is they farm it out. Oh, yeah, it's the border. So I'll send a couple of people to help Abbott, so to speak, have a press release, but not realizing all along that if you would demagnetize your state and cut off all funding and have interior enforcement, they wouldn't come to your state. Now, in Utah, um, I've noticed it perhaps may be the most pro-illegal alien red state in america it's the only one i know of that allows for driver's licenses for illegals um why is your state so pro-illegal and how could you change that as governor well i think we're pro-illegal because we have a governor who is pro-biden um policy and 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 literally is fawning over the Biden administration, can't stand uh, the Trump administration. We've got a, we've got a, a, a Newsom 2.0 as the governor of Utah. And I, why, why we accept that because they have an R by their name that they're Republican, that's the real question. Um, and, I'm, and I'm hoping in this election that people wake up to see that this governor is not a Republican. He's not, he doesn't have Republican values and he's not doing Republican things. In fact, we're doing the opposite. We're, we're so woke. You know, gender fluidity is, is a big thing with, with this governor. He uses his pronouns and, and climate change is a big thing with this governor. Uh, he started the Civilian Climate Corps. And so it's no surprise when mm-hmm. it comes to immigration that we are, you know, San Francisco-esque. <laughs> <laughs> on our policies it it, it it is it's true to form i wish it was like oh we 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 made a mistake oh we're compassionate people oh we've got big hearts but no it's like no this is an agenda and we are on the front end of it you know the 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 when he was lieutenant governor they put out a statement from the governor's office that says utah will be the cradle of the fourth industrial revolution which is um wow you know klaus schwab's uh uh, 15 minute cities for, you'll own nothing and be happy this dystopianism all of that and that's really so, harmful so because in light yeah. of what you said a minute ago that the issue du jour in your state is land usage and and federal control and the, and the lead lie that they're using to induce that is global warming and then and and your governor is championing that um by the way just like neighbor and governor mark gordon in in wyoming i mean all those governors brad um brad little in, in idaho i mean we, we really need a revolution there this is you know to be clear you're not the only state but i i do want to broach something that whenever i bring up utah i'm like we're underutilizing the map. You know, you know, you have these fake Republicans here. And there. But when I bring up Utah, I'll get inevitably get emails and people will say, Daniel, you're misreading it. It's not really a Republican state anyway. And the 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 pushback that people say, I want to get your sense on where you think the average voter is in Utah. So in, in every other state, I think we're fairly confident that if we had a fair primary where they run on their issues, we run on ours, then we would clearly win. Um, like, for example, we're seeing this all over the place with Trump and Nikki Haley. So there, you know, because it's not just some bet down the ballot race, it's very prominent. Everyone understands who's whom. And Trump, you know, at least is perceived as very conservative. And Nikki Haley certainly is not. And he's blowing her out everywhere because it's really only 20, 30 percent who would even consider voting for someone like Nikki Haley. Yet you get down ballot in these states, and you got Republicans that make Nikki Haley look like a right-winger. I mean, they're they're really to the left of her. Like, someone like Phil Cox is, you know, clearly, clearly to the left of Nikki Haley. So, we, our guys would win if we had a fair fight. But what I hear is that in Utah, 
The question is this. Utah was Republican more than any other state in the country for many years because it's dominated, obviously, by the Mormon church. But in recent years, the Mormon church seems to have taken this doctrine, which is infiltrating a lot of Catholic churches, evangelical churches, Jewish, all every major religion, conflating charity and compassion with essentially socialism, illegal immigration, weak on crime. And I don't mean like your your criminal case, personal one. I mean degenerate gangbanging thugs that they want to let out of prison. Um, Trinity stuff. Yeah, right. I know this is a deep discussion, but give us an overview of where you see the Mormon church, where do you see the average Mormon citizen in Utah and the viability of a candidacy like yours and, and a governance of yours if you were to become governor in going strong right on the issues and how that will work within the culture of the state? I love the question because it's complex and, and I'm, and I'm devout uh, LDS. Um, but my, my doctrine, my religion teaches me that I am uh, an agent unto myself, you know, capable of doing good, capable of doing evil, um, being responsible for that, capable of being compassionate. Mm-hmm. To me, it's a, it's the, the LDS church should be, should teach people that they are uh, beings, you know, that they are, that they have personhood just because of their existence. And, and then the idea that, that somehow we've got to collectivize our thinking is also a very Mormon thing. We are the beehive state after all, you know, someone called it the behave state recently, which I thought was interesting. So I, I've never liked the, uh, the, the symbol of the beehive. I like industry. I like that, but this idea that we're kind of a colony and a, and a, of one mind is a little bit contrary, contradictory to me. But so you have this weird dynamic where you've got a religion that teaches people that they are responsible for themselves. You know, we, we believe we're going to be judged by our actions, you know, saved by grace, but judged by what we do. And, uh, and so you find really high producers, uh, people who have a high level of personal responsibility. But there is that underlying um uh, you know, devotion, I guess, to the prophet. And when the prophet says, you know, that the vaccination is, is important, you got people are saying, well, he just said, you know, you have to do it. And I'm saying, no, I didn't, I didn't hear that. I didn't hear that part. I just, you know, uh, heard, heard this other, and we're still, you know, still make our own decisions. And so you've got this battle that's going on in, 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 you know, Mormondom of, uh, you know, who do we, who do we, follow our own conscience or, or the collective conscience. And, and, uh, and it's, and it's a true, it's an honest, uh, it's an honest debate and an honest divide. And there are people on both sides of it. And I think in the end, I think there are more people because it's the truth. There are more people that, that are individual minded and, uh, and the, and the others being, you know, the religion is being used kind of to exploit some of the politics. And there's some, I'll just, I'll just say some, some, some kind of weak minded people that follow that, that that sheep mentality and the the others uh, I think that are going to win out when they're presented with with a, an honest uh, option between you know blind following and 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 actually taking responsibility for their lives. In other words, on, on things like more powerful on things like illegal, illegal immigration, for example. So you know, obviously, at the corporate church level, um, they seem to be very bought into that and using this pseudo compassion as as that lead argument. But are you confident that the majority of Mormons in Utah, especially now, understand that uh, that's not compassion for anyone uh, based on what we're seeing with all the crime and sex trafficking and everything that needs to be shut down? 
Yeah, thank you for that because it's not compassion. We've we've got a major homelessness issue going on here in Salt Lake, and as as do most blue cities, you know. Um, and you look at that and see that is not compassion. This is not helping those people. It's not helping our children who are who are now afraid to go on the streets. The parents who won't, they you know won't walk downtown. Uh, it's not compassion. It's not it's not it's not good for the community. It's not good for the people. And only an insane society would destroy something they could more easily repair. And we've got people who are in need of genuine assistance. And and you've got people who will open up their homes, and that's great. You know, open your house. Take somebody in, you know, bake a loaf of bread and take to your neighbor, something like that. But when you when you turn it into policy, now what you're now what you're doing is, is um, you know, virtue signaling to the max. Yep. And, and that's what it is. It's like, I want to be elected. Therefore, I'm going to virtue signal and talk about compassion and what you should do, not what not what I should do personally, but what collectively we should do. And and it is it's it's it's, it's communism. It, it leads to it leads literally to communism by definition. And and people that are preaching that um, it's not benign, and I yeah it's, it's got to stop. And, and sorry, I'm rambling here, but you you brought out like January sixth. You know, four years ago, five years ago, people thought, well, the federal government's not our enemy. Now people are re- recognizing at least it is weaponized against good people. And yep. and I think there's a, I think there's a, the winds have shifted. I just don't think that that other uh, ideology is going to fly. Interesting. No, I'm 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 definitely very excited to see that. And uh, certainly, Mike Lee has gotten a lot more hardcore, and I'm I'm, I'm very happy for it on on the legal migration yeah. issue in particular. Yeah. And it doesn't seem to be hurting him. And and I would hope that um, you know people would definitely recognize those points because again, you tolerate the intolerant under the guise of tolerance, it it doesn't do anything for you. I mean, we saw last night uh, in Dearborn, Michigan three quarters or four fifths voted against Biden in the primary. Now Biden is anti-Israel on every front, but it's not enough for them. It's not enough for these dudes. Uh, That's, that's how much we have changed that part of Michigan and how somehow that will help virtue is just unreal. And, you know, you just look to Europe to understand that. And again, I mean, this is something that all religions I think have been hijacked at a corporate level with an element of that, selling the progressive pagan construct of compassion as something that really is the opposite of it. But certainly, you know, obviously there's nothing quite like Utah in terms of the influence of the church there. So that's something that we're going to be very excited to see if we could crack that nut, make it an actual red state. Before I let you go, I want to broach one other issue. You have a very interesting background. You started the largest employer Navajo health systems in your county you started the county health department. Um, yeah. How do you mm-hmm. make healthcare a force for good at a local level, in, in you know, state level, in light of what we've witnessed, where the private systems, together with the local health departments, literally turned health and freedom, individuality upside down for a collective one health um, dogma? that we now have 49 out of 50 states, with the exception of Florida, where the health departments are literally pushing dangerous things on people, despite all the evidence. How, how do we change that around if you are governor? Oh, man. Another, you, you ask really good questions. Uh, well, if you got the time, we'll, we'll go over time here. Yeah. So, so you know, healthcare is obviously a powerful um, uh element in in a society people need it and where i'm where i'm from uh 
San Juan County is 50% Navajo, and we're on the border of the Navajo Nation. Um, and, uh, and and I saw a tremendous disparity in, in services, which, you know, this maybe brings out the, the social big-hearted side of me, but I'm saying, well, if, if the federal government wants to fulfill their, their obligations to Navajo people instead of locking up all of their land and, and you know, continuing this reservation style of of treatment, maybe do something for them. Maybe, maybe, you know, actually spend some money on the healthcare uh, for, for the Navajo people. And that was the push. And you find out that there is billions of dollars being spent on the Navajo nation alone, but it was going through, uh, it was going through a bureaucracy. Of, oh yeah. The whole of Indian affairs. So we, yeah. Bureaucracy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we said, well, look, there is, there's this, they call it a 638 contract and we can get that privately. So the entrepreneurial side, the CPA side, that's my that's my background. I'm a CPA down there. So the CPA side of me is looking at that and saying, you know, if I if I wanted a successful healthcare operation, maybe we could get that contract directly to the providers instead of going through the bureaucracy of, of uh, Indian Health Services. And that's what we did. They had a, they have a provision, and so we did the 638 contract negotiations. I learned the ropes on that. We did that, and it and it and it turned into a an amazing engine, an economic engine for healthcare in San Juan County. And then the public health side of it uh, was as a county commissioner, we had this collective, you know, under the state. And I said, well, it looks like counties could do this on their own. So we, and, and it was, again, it was m- truly motivated for the Navajos on the south end of the county. And we said, well, if, if you're not going to serve them, we'll just do our own. And we did. And, and now that health department uh, also, you know, through public, through public funds, I, I, I don't deny that, is serving so many people and doing so much good. And then you point out the, the you know, make the sure they're not pushing the COVID shots. <laughs> exactly, and they are, and and they and they were, you know, the uh, the health department that I created was turning around and finding businesses. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and, and and it's not fair to say I created. No, it because, I understand because you know, none of us saw this but, coming. If if you would have told me five years ago they're going to create a vaccine and force it upon <laughs> people, that's going to affect. What are we up to? I think it's. Uh, don't quote me on this, but it's pretty close. Something like yeah. seventeen thousand of the twenty-five thousand billing codes of maladies, injuries, and illnesses in all of medical billing are accounted for in VAERS. Every organ system of the body. I would have never believed that, and then it would go on for for uh, you know three years unabated and still not taken off the market. So I, I get that, but but my point is yeah. like, yeah. how do we rein in that mentality of this WHO, CDC? one health rather than individual health you know people people are not anti-government they're anti-corrupt government they're not anti-health they're anti-corrupt health and everything we do in fact the better it is the more potential it has for good the more likely it is to be you know hijacked by (laughs) by opportunists and that's we see it so so much and 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 how do you how do you solve that i i think it's the eternal battle and i I, but but the main thing is you've got to put people in there who are honest and uh, and politics. That's really hard. That's a really high bar <laughs> because because there's so much pressure to do things that are you know expedient. Um, and that's and, and that's that's my big push for local control. It's like push this back to the county level. Counties will make good decisions, and and that's the way the the states were organized. You know whether we're talking about curriculum in our second grade classrooms or you know our public lands. Um, people who are most affected by those decisions should be closest to the, to the process of making those decisions. And the opposite is happening. We're trying to centralize everything. Utah is, is on a, on a mad push 
to centralize all the decisions for water and land and energy and, and and curriculum at the state level. And and that's a recipe for for corruption. And if you look at the people that are doing it, you know, you've got in the water space. In Utah, water is king. And if you want to be the king, you control the water. And you look at what's happening and it's like, okay, these are big developers pushing the state to make policies that's going to put them in control of the water. But the same thing could be said about any one of these areas that we've talked about, I believe. Well, I mean, you're going to have a hard time standing up against the corporate cartels. I mean, that that's what runs the state. The healthcare cartel certainly is why red states weren't red during the pandemic. Um, most of them weren't, at least. And that's going to be the big challenge, saying no to federal funding, saying no to federal control, and saying no to the big even the big employers, like we saw with DeSantis and Disney, sometimes you got to slay the beast. Um, and what was so remarkable about that fight is those are the sorts of employers that typically run state politics. And, you know, in every other state, you'll find the sort of Walmart, Arkansas dynamic there, right? Where the biggest employer in a given state, they run the politics. And when it comes to most of our issues, unfortunately, they're on the other side of individual liberty, of certainly um, biblical values, just normal social values, uh, clean curriculum, and obviously dealing with things like violent crime, illegal immigration. Uh, they've all taken on that that left-wing bent, and that's certainly going to be a challenge of yours because that's why people like Phil Cox are very successful in getting elected. Obviously, the first step is to get the party nomination at the convention going forward. Um, real quick before I let you go, I see a bunch of names filed to run. So there's you're not the only challenger. Now, now you, right. don't, you don't have a runoff, so... Do you have any way of navigating that? I mean, you, you can't have multiple guys running against someone that well-known. Well, uh, Spencer Cox, in the last primary four years ago, won with 36% of the, of the vote in the primary. And, and I, think, I think he knows that if it's a one-on-one primary race, he would have a hard time getting above 50%. Um, mm. Uh, some of the people that are there are, are running because they believe that they can make a difference. Um, some of them, I think, are being propped up, whether they know it or not, by 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 the Cox camp. Um, and that's just that's just you know observation on For my sure. part. I'm not I'm not making any. I just want to say anything, full but. disclosure. I have not looked into anyone else, and normally I have a policy where there is no runoff. I don't want to interfere, but I would note right, that you right. have the most robust record of actually really putting skin on the line um, in the legislature on the issues and and as a county commissioner. So having an actual record, I, I certainly don't picture that you'll be uh, you know, scared of corporate interests when you're willing to go to jail for what was right. I think that's very impressive. Where could people find out more about your candidacy? Um, you mentioned the website, uh, Lyman for Utah. That's F-O-R-Utah.com. And everything's there. You, they can follow me on Twitter at Phil underscore Lyman. Um, I'm in Instagram and I've got social media people that are, you know, trying to get stuff out on, on all the platforms. Um, and yeah, just, uh, just jump on the website and see, see what we're about. And I love talking to people. So. Perfect. Well, well, you know, pe- yeah. people email me, Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. If you're from Utah, you have questions, you want to know more about this. Uh, the point is the status quo of having Democrats run red states is not 
an option. So I thank you, Phil. And by the way, it's Spencer Cox you're running against. Uh, Phil, I thank you for joining us. I thank you all for tuning in today. Till tomorrow, Micah 6-8, and thank you for listening. 